A stu stu Studio D production. I think that that's important. Like there is a certain etiquette for each mm -hmm. venue. And I used to annoy the shit out of people on purpose at concerts. And I'm thinking like this is a rock concert. I'm talking rock concerts. I'm talking like headbangers bash or whatever. Right. You expect people, people are drunk and, and fucked up and we're watching Disturbed yep. and Godsmack. <laughs> but when they would yell out at the crowd, you know, how's everybody doing tonight? And people go, woo. I'd be like, oh, I'm great. How are you? <laughs> And then, like, oh. any time they would ask the crowd any anything, I would respond. With an answer. With an, <laughs> I, I love there's it. There's been a couple. I'm like, but I'm at a fucking rock concert, yeah. so I can be an asshole if I want. But I still had the... people turn around and look at me and be like, can you not? And be really? Like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, dude. Like, here, show. do you need a hit off this joint I'm smoking at this fucking rock concert? Well, dude? Like, <laughs> what's yeah, the alternative? Ridiculous. You woo with everyone else, which is, in my opinion, equally, if not more annoying. <laughs> and but, also, but it wasn't less sense. You wouldn't do that in conversation. Yeah. How you doing, Hannah? Woo! woo. <laughs> all right, all right. I know exactly what that means. <laughs> no, but I wasn't following the script, and I think that was kind of what... No, and that, I mean, and that kind of makes... Sit down, I want to tell you a story. A really weird and messed up story. With murdering ghosts and gobbly ghouls. It's all really fucked up, so don't you be fooled. It's after you know, family story time. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Effed Up Family Storytime. I'm Salem. I'm Hannah. She's I'm back. back. That, was, that was so weird because I'm not used to it anymore. <laughs> I forgot I had to do it for a second. <laughs> and here today we have Kelly. Hello. And Jess. What's up? Hey, how's everyone doing? Oh, yeah, I, we're supposed to say woo afterwards, just like you would at a concert, <laughs> oh, right? That's right. That's everyone doing pretty good out there. today, Salem. Woo! How are you? <laughs> why is it woo? Why don't they say, why can't you say good? Like, at least it's an actual <laughs> response to their question. Maybe Great. it started that way when people good. would say, like, how's everyone doing out there? People would say good. And then it just became woo. <laughs> and then they added a double <laughs> The, the evolution of language. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so what have you been up to, Hannah? You've been gone. Oh. Why don't you tell us? Yeah, I've been very busy with school. Hopefully I'll graduate soon. <laughs> you will. Next in December, right? You Six have one semester months. left, right? We'll see. <laughs> Hannah, you have one semester left, right? I think so. In theory. In if theory. It, if it Be takes, confident, damn it. Yeah, if it takes true. an extra semester, I'm not too bothered by it. No, but... But you, I, it I will. will graduate. It's only taken you six years already. Longer. No, you're 26, right? Oh, eight years, 18 plus. But you were eight. It's taken me almost 10 years. How old are you? I am. I'm 26. I'm turning 27. But I started college when I was 17. Because she's oh, because of your young. birthday. Yeah. yeah. Also, nah. um, I forgot. <laughs> and you were just too young. I oh, think I was gonna for say, all the pressure. I you weren't in college consistently all those times. Though. That's true. no. But in total, it will probably take me a decade to get my undergraduate. <laughs> it took me a decade, all total, to That's get fair. mine. And it took me a solid four years after I had been going to school for a couple years part-time prior to that. It took me a solid four and a half years, I think, to finish. Yeah. So it's just hard. Yeah, absolutely. I, especially when, when you're working at the same time. Yeah, yeah. it's rough, man. 
So I heard something. This just made me remember something I heard on the radio. This couple was arguing over, and it struck home to me, this kid who he's graduating high school, not college, but whatever reason, he isn't able to graduate on time, and he's going to have to take summer school and then graduate after summer school, right? So it's really not like he has to repeat a year or anything. And they had this big graduation party plan. They'd already sent out invitations. They had family coming in and the mom wants to keep the party because she's like, yeah, he's not actually graduating, but he's still put in all this work and he will graduate. And it's not like we're going to have a party for him when he graduates in the, after the summer, right. you know, so let's just go and do the party. And the dad's like, no, because he didn't earn it. And we'd be lying to people and da 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 da. And I just think it's funny because I did that and I didn't know what, I just don't, I didn't think it was that big a deal. I didn't graduate college on time because I fucked up a class. I had to take summer school, but they still were going to let me walk. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I still kept my party and I fucking lied to almost everybody. I do, I do remember you not my... telling everyone and you like whispering to me at one point in time about it. But I was that, devastated. I, I mean, I was devastated. Yeah. But um, but I still have my fucking party, and I just thought that was interesting. My friend did the exact same thing. Uh, they had to take one final class, but they walked, even though they had technically not graduated yet. They also lied to their parents, <laughs> and their parents took them to Hawaii. Oh, oh no! no. no. And they had this like far. huge party. Um, I, I don't didn't think they lie to my ever. parents. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you should lie to your parents if you are in high school, especially. Well, if you're in high yeah. school, you can't. You can't. But when you're in college, you can get away I with mean, it. I mean, you but can it's like, if you're... Never mind. I don't even know if that's that big of a deal to lie about, because it's like, you still graduated. Right. I mean... <laughs> it was just... A few months just off. Just tell everybody. I just yeah. kind of feel like you shouldn't need to lie about it. I think yeah. the school lets you walk. Like right. that's a if very the common lets thing. You walk, yeah, then you say, should get to say I graduated. Exactly. And like worst case scenario, let's say high school specifically. Worst case scenario, this kid has his big party and then goes to summer school and fails his summer school class and probably just doesn't go back to school he's still celebrating the end of high school exactly <laughs> high school's over either way now he can go deal with getting his ged or whatever he needs to do i don't know which there's he, nothing wrong I think with you that don't either. get a second party how about right. that like yeah. you got don't. your party if you mess this up bad and you're not like graduating until next spring you don't get a second and you party. don't get your gifts until you actually graduate because that's yeah. like yeah. one of the question like what do you do with people that bring gifts because either you tell them and tell them not to bring gifts or you keep the gifts or you return them and tell them, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or if you're not going to tell them, you keep them, but he shouldn't get them until he's actually graduated. Yeah, except that if I'm bringing a gift, I might I want, want them an to acknowledgement have acknowledgement that they, <laughs> he can they know, opened it he and can know, know what it is. But then after everyone leaves, oh, those gifts go in the closet and you put a little lock on the door and I say... I think that could be a strategy. It, also gives, it yeah. also gives them something to... some incentive to make sure they do graduate mm -hmm. over the summer because they know what's waiting for them. Yeah. Well, which is I, usually a lot of cash. Yeah. I just... The punishment of being like, well, you didn't graduate technically, so you can't have your party. For me, at least, that would make me so unincentivized to yeah. fucking finish high school. I'd be like, well, Fine, okay, I guess cares? I'm not going to graduate then. Like, right. who cares? <laughs> well, and for me, the party for me was like, I was already planning the party, and 
it was kind of like I was so bombed I needed a fucking party right. do you yeah. know what I mean like <laughs> yeah. to acknowledge the fact that I did put in all that work and even mm-hmm. if I didn't finish and get my diploma I still put in a whole lot of work to get uh-huh. to where I was at so you know how at the end of your degree regardless of what degree it is you have a capstone thing like a capstone project or a capstone paper um I had not only a capstone project, I also had to do a capstone paper. I had to do both of them. So I had my senior recital, which you would assume is the capstone project for a performance major. And then I also had to write a 22-page paper on top of that. And I think that's bullshit because every single other music degree, at least at UCD, they don't have to do that. Like music business majors, they just have to do a portfolio. They don't have to write a paper too. They should have to write a paper more than a performer. Exactly. So- Why is it that the fucking performance majors have to do a recital which I, took up an entire maybe year to make sure planning. you're still smart and I not just talented. Didn't have to it. do a capstone project. I didn't either for my bachelor's, but and the- I was really I was expecting to have to do what we called I back then my senior thesis is what they were called. Yeah. But I didn't. I don't think I did. Or no, maybe I but did. I, but did I you don't, really graduate? Is, no, I think what happens, I don't know. No, I think I have an answer. I think what happens is that some degrees it's built into the final courses. So yeah. I was going to say oh. I didn't have a separate capstone, but I did have like my final courses that were required as a part of my degree had bigger, right. more elaborate projects as the end of the course. So I feel like, like I had I to had do a to directing do a project, project I had, but I don't remember what it was. But I, I feel quit. like it was. Not Before anything like what I expected it to be. <laughs> Nothing. I like just what want I validation that it's I was bullshit. terrified. That I had bullshit. to do a paper bullshit. and a but recital. I, I just want y'all <laughs> to know wonder. I'm never going back to school ever. <laughs> I didn't graduate. I'm never going back either. I'm I don't care at this point. Uh, oh, you're gonna be She's Aunt so Trish, aren't you? Crazy. I don't, I don't really want. She's to. Aunt Trish. <laughs> I don't then really don't. want to. <laughs> don't. Well, I'm Janice Joplin. Opens up. So. No, but you know what I mean. She's Aunt Trish <laughs> yeah. going to an. L- I am not L- getting my doctorate at seventy. Thank you very much. I'm still very early in well, my you, career. You're not getting it now either, so we don't know when you're getting it. No, but I'm just saying I'm not Aunt Trish. I'm going <laughs> to use it for my career. I'm not going to do it for fun. Well, I mean, but you're still Aunt Trish. Speaking of Janice Joplin, I oh learned. My God. Oh God, we don't have time we should to go. go on a tangent. Okay, all right. Sorry. When, when we get back from the break, Salem's going to tell us. Gonna tell us about Janice Joplin. That's great. After, when after we the get break. back from the break, Salem's going to tell us her Janice Joplin thing. <laughs> write it down. Write it down. It's really not don't as forget. interesting. No, I don't need to. Write oh, it. but you have it's to really now. I don't care if it's interesting or not. At this point, it has to happen. It's yeah. pretty ridiculous. All right, but all we're going to get into the story. Yeah, and I'm running this story. So Salem's going to tell it after break. Okay, okay. (laughs) I can have bossy Jess come out. Some people call her mean Jess. Come out. I was going to say the same thing, Salem, but I restrained myself. I hate you both. (laughs) Okay. Because, especially since we've had all this theater and performance talk, I'm feeling like being a bit overdramatic. I'm going to set the scene for my story. So are we ready? You stand. Ooh. Oh, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great, though. To be fair, you did ask, "Are you ready?" And the audience in a in a performance would say, "Woo!" <laughs> but it was a little delayed. I paused for a second. I know. I had to think of it for a second. <laughs> See, if I was at a concert and they said, "Are you ready?" I'd be like, "Just a second. Let me light my cigarette." <laughs> I should have gone to more concerts with you, Salem. <laughs> you would be the only one that would would enjoy it. Everybody was well, always very annoyed. Whoever I was w- next to would be like, "Shut up!" Shut I would, up. I would, I would participate. 
Oh, man. All right, so. (laughs) Gotta get serious again. You stand on the side of a deserted mountain slope. The wind whistles through the trees. You hear cloth flapping in the wind and stare dumbfounded at a shredded tent. As you move closer to the tent, you discover it has been cut open from the... (laughs) I almost made it! I'm sorry! (laughs) Okay, I want to do the wind whistles through the trees and I want to hear your whistle now. The wind whistles through the trees. You hear cloth flapping and stare dumbfounded at at a shredded tent. As you move closer to the tent, you discover it has been cut open from the inside. There are several sets of footprints ranging from having one shoe on to having socks on to being barefoot. I know what you're doing. The footprints don't seem to be rushed, but indicate normal walking patterns. As you follow the prints, you find the first two bodies, and then you find three more. The bodies are in various stages of dress and oddly spaced. Two are around the remains of a fire, while with the other three at increasing distances from the fire, giving the appearance that they were trying to get back to the tent. What happened? Hannah thinks she knows. Do you know do. what I'm doing? What am I, I know doing? What are you doing? You're what doing, doing the Dyatlov Pass. Yeah! <laughs> I thought so too. I just couldn't remember what it was called. <laughs> cool. All right. So we haven't done this one yet. I, I know. Ooh. All right. So on January 23rd, 1959, 10 Russian skiers left Sverdlovsk city, which is now Ekaterinburg, for the Ural Mountains. They were led by Igor Dyatlov. They started their journey in Sverdlovsk, Sverdlovsk city and took a train north to the city of Ivdel. They got there early on the morning of January 25th and they took a truck to Vizhai where they stayed the night. The next morning on January 27th, they started their hike to Gora Atorten which, believe it or not, I couldn't really find what that was. I imagine it's a place in the mountains, like their destination or whatever. On January 28th, one member of the group turned back due to some health issues, uh, heart issues, but the nine other skiers continued their hike. Thanks to diaries and cameras of the hikers that investigators were able to find, um, they were able to track their movements leading up to their deaths. So on January 31st, hikers arrived at the edge of a highland area and prepared to climb. They left a cache of food and supplies in the woods to use on their trip back. Then they set off on February 1st and began their climb through the pass. It appeared that they planned to make it over the pass before nightfall, but the weather was getting worse, visibility was getting bad, and they ended up going in the wrong direction accidentally towards the west um, toward the top of the mountain there called Kolat Shach. I don't know how to say K-H-L together, so... <laughs> but that feels very German, not Russian, so I don't know. <laughs> that was it. it. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> so Dyatlov decided to stop the hike and set camp right there on the slope and then try to get back on track the next day. And this was... 
on February 1st, so keep that in mind. So they camped there, and they were going to start and find the path the next day. The group was expected to return to Vizhai on February 12th, but Igor Dyatlov did tell um, some of the people at the sports club that he was from he thought it would probably take longer. So when the sports club didn't receive a telegram from Dyatlov saying the hikers were back, uh, they weren't overly concerned until they still hadn't heard anything by February 20th. Okay, so February 20th, you said that they set out from that one place on February 1st. When did they actually leave the town? No, so they left on their hike on February 27th. You mean January? January 27th. (laughs) One hiker left the group on the 28th, bringing it down to nine. And then they... The 31st, they prepared to go into the pass and then on the first they started their climb through the pass pass. yeah yeah okay and then that i just couldn't remember the first date so the 27th so they were basically going to be gone for like three weeks right and they were estimated to be back by february 12th okay Mm. so they were but it could have been longer but whatever but like a couple days or like if they run into a storm and have to camp for a day or right But by the 20th, they were concerned. And also the explorer's relatives were demanding a search be done. So search and rescue attempts were made. That's all boring detail about how that was. But so they're looking for them. And on February 26th, uh, they found the abandoned camp. Okay. And then that's where they saw that the tent was partially covered with snow, had been cut open from the inside out. And there were nine sets of footprints in those various states of, what would you call it, shoedness. Um, some had one shoe on, some had socks or one sock on, some were completely barefoot. In the tent, they found all of the group's belongings intact. So that's where they got the diaries and cameras from to help them piece together what had happened so far for the for the group and you can uh, see a lot of these pictures online they have a bunch of them on wikipedia they were part of the lead investigator back in 1959's like personal files but after he died like a granddaughter donated it to the Dyatlov foundation and so you can see a lot of the pictures in the journals now if anybody is interested Pictures of what? Just the whole crime scene? Of the crime scene of them on their hike. Like pictures of their cameras. Oh, okay. Yep, yep. So pictures from their cameras that they found in the tent with their diaries. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Not like the pictures they took of the crime scene when they after they found it. You can see some of those too. Okay. Interesting. Weird. Yeah. What year was this again? Nineteen fifty nine. Okay. So The nine sets of footprints lead to the edge of the woods. So the investigators notice that they're leading uh, towards the edge of the woods about 1.5 kilometers or 93 miles, or not 93, (laughs) 0.93 miles. (laughs) They walked a while. (laughs) So 1.5 kilometers or 0.93 miles to the northeast. So that was actually downslope from where they were at. After about 500 meters or 1,600 feet, the tracks were covered with a light layer of snow, um, but they were able to keep following. um, And then under a large Siberian pine at the end of that uh, 1.5 kilometers, they found the remains of a small fire and the bodies of Yuri Nikolaevich Doroshenko and Georgi Alexeyevich 
Krivonishenko. I'm pretty, I practice these a lot. I apologize but it, to any Russian I know, audience members. I really practice these, but didn't think about one and a half drinks being in my system at this time. And I'm forgetting all my practice. Anyway, they were found there and they were dressed only in their underwear. There were broken branches about five meters high in the tree. So going up as far as about five meters high in the tree by the fire. So they believed that someone had climbed the tree for a better view, maybe to try to find the camp and their tent. Between the fire and the location of the original camp or the tent, three more bodies were then found. So they followed these footprints and they found 1.5 kilometers away, the two by the fire. And then as they walked back in a slightly, you know, back that direction, but not exactly where the footprints were kind of thing. They found three more bodies. Um, And I'm imagining this is like a snowy Arctic kind of environment. Okay. Yep. Yep. It's, uh, it's, I can't believe I didn't write the elevation down. That seems like something I would have looked up. (laughs) I'll look it up for you. (laughs) Um, But it's February in the Northern Hemisphere going over a mountain pass. Yeah. It's snowy. So there's lots of snow. I found the elevation. Yes. Yes. Um, yes, The height of the mountain is indicated as 1,096.7 meters or 3,598 feet above sea level. So So February equals snowy. Isn't even that high. Is it really? It isn't, but it would be <laughs> snowy in February. Yeah. <laughs> and they're not too far from... I'm just being an annoying Denverite right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm higher than that right now. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so it's snowy. We answered that question. Um, <laughs> it's cold. So between that campfire and the original campsite, they found Igor Dyatlov, Zenaida. Alexievna Kolmogorova. Kolmogorova. God, I feel so embarrassed now. I practice this so hard. They're hard names. They're now difficult. you're like me. Okay. So they found Igor Zenaida and uh, Rustem Vladimirovic Slobodin. All three of them were found in poses that suggested they were trying to make their way back to the tent. Now, I couldn't really find anything that elaborated on that but i imagine that means that maybe they were looked like they were climbing on top of snow or something like trying to climb through drifts or huh okay that's yeah weird okay so the other weird thing is that they weren't all found in the same place so we have the two bodies just in their underwear under the tree by the fire the first body which was or yeah the first body or the closest body to the fire that's how i want to say it was about 300 meters away, or 980 feet. Then the next closest body to the fire was 480 meters, or 1,570 feet away from the fire. And then at 630 meters, or 2,070 feet from the fire, was the third body. So to me, I don't know what you guys think. That's and a I'd- big difference in distance. Well, and it makes it almost makes me think like one person tried... And didn't come back, so somebody went after, and then they didn't come back. I don't know. Like, it's almost like they weren't together when they left. They left at different times and made it various distances. Or if they were all running at the same time and spread out a little bit. Oh, yeah, we'll get to that. Mm, Okay, okay. So after the initial few days of the investigation, they had found five bodies total. 
So we found the five, right? Igor, Zdenia, Zaneda, Rustim, Lyudmila, and Alexander. Um, it would take two more months to find the four remaining hikers. They were found on March 4th under about four meters or 13 feet of snow in a ravine. Oh uh, in a ravine that was about 75 meters or 246 feet further into the woods than the small fire that they found. Huh. So these four had moved farther than that campfire into the woods. Three of the bodies were better clothed than the others that they had found so far, and it appeared that the clothing belonged to the other skiers, so they believed that it had been scavenged by these three um, after the others had died. So they were dressed, and then after they died... Partially. So so it appears that some might have had pants on, and some might have had But I mean, they were dressed before they died. They weren't... Dummies Part- sitting out there with nothing. Right. Partially dressed. Say they were still. They yeah. still. Based on the amount of clothing, it seems that they okay. still would have had to. They have, still wouldn't have been properly dressed. Right. And they were. The still, it was a rush. It was yeah, a okay. rush to get out of the tent for yeah. some reason. Okay. Um, so yes, they were more clothed than they were found. The first five, but because they believe the last four they found or the three that were better dressed had scavenged clothing. Okay. Okay. One of I them even had one of them even had like a torn piece, I forget what it was, like a torn piece of a jacket that they had wrapped around their shin and tied off like as clothing as protection. So okay. they had scavenged and Okay. Um, That's interesting. The, I don't know if you are going to get into this, but like one of the theories I know is that they were naked because in hypothermia you can end up feeling yep. really hot in late stage hypothermia and so that's why they were naked i didn't know that they thought that they had like well scavenged right. the clothes and that's why it's, yeah well yeah so it's interesting because we don't know we don't know if the first five took their clothes off first and then the others stole their clothes not stole them but took their clothes you know what i mean or, if or they, if they actually, actually took them off their bodies yeah you right. don't know the order of events so the four that were in the ravine, um, oh, and I should note that they were also partially in a small stream. Those four were Nikolai Vladimirovic, Thibodeau Brignolis. I, it's like first Russian, and I'm pretty sure Thibodeau Brignolis is not a Russian name, but um, <laughs> or at least Thibodeau, so I don't know where he was from. But I'm pronouncing many different cultures Name's wrong. I just want to apologize <laughs> to the world. Semyon Alexievich Zolotaryov. Why do I only have two? That was three. You said three. No, mm-hmm. Nikolai and Semyon. Thibodeau. Yeah. No, so- Thibodeau's his last name, Thibodeau Brignolis. So his name <gasps> is Nikolai Vladimirovich Thibodeau Brignolis. Oh. <laughs> Maybe wow. you just forgot a comma, and it's Nikolai Bibibida Thibodeau. In- Let's just correct back a little, and so the I'm f- confused. I know. So we found <laughs> nine hikers so far. Yeah. Two by a small campfire under a big pine tree, and they were Yuri. Um, Let's just do first names. Yeah, <laughs> G- Georgi. So we have Yuri and Georgi. Okay. I'm writing it down. And then the three that were found in various distances between the fire and the original camp were Igor, Zenaida, and Rustem. 
And then the four that were found two months later, about 75 meters or 246 feet farther into the woods than the others, were Lyudmila, Alexander, Nikolai, and Semyon. Okay. okay. We got it. So here are some things that the autopsy discovered around the bodies of these nine hikers. So... All signs indicated that they died six to eight hours after their last meal. Um, Six of the hikers died from hypothermia. Five of those had no other injuries. And then the sixth, Dyatlov, he had a small skull fracture, but it was not um, life killing. (laughs) Fatal? Fatal, thank you. (laughs) I wasn't saying it because I could. I imagined it couldn't possibly be fatal. I couldn't. I kept. Wanting, I thought it was life killing. I don't know what you're talking I about. I, I kept wanting to say mortal, and I'm like, that kind of works. It wasn't a mortal wound, but it wasn't the word I wanted, and then my brain broke. Thank you, Kelly. Fatal, <laughs> but it wasn't fatal. Now, of the four that were found by the in the ravine by the stream, three of them had fatal injuries. So. Thibodeau Brignoles had major skull damage. Um, Dubinina and Zolotaryov um, had severe chest fractures, and those were the cause of death for those three. The doctor who performed the autopsy said that it would require extreme force, like that of a car crash, to cause the fractures that were there. And in addition, another odd thing was there were no external wounds related to the fracture. So there was no bruising, abrasions, things like that. So it indicated great pressure rather than like a moving force. Weird. Yeah. uh, One member had traces of radiation on them, but only one. So that's extra odd because you would think they all would have it. Yeah. Right? Maybe he had a radioactive watch or something. I don't know. Where would that radiation <laughs> have come from? Nobody knows. Yeah, maybe I've he... seen some possible theories. Well, we might talk but, about yeah. that. <laughs> okay, okay. The theories I saw... Fully unsubstantiated. <laughs> well, and would have been highly unlikely that only one person yeah. would have gotten radiation on them. Yeah. Another interesting thing that was reported right around or reported on that night and around that night were was the sighting of orange orbs in the sky to the north. So there was a hiking party that was about 50 kilometers south of where the Dyatlov party was at. And they saw on that night, they saw orange orbs in the sky in that direction. And then through February and March, there were multiple sightings reported around the surrounding areas and into some of the small towns out there of seeing these orbs. Okay, and by that night, you mean th- they're assuming this all happened on that night of February 1st? Like the yes. last time that you gave us an update on what their movement had been yes. was February 1st. Based and- on when photographs stopped, based on when diary entries stopped... They believe that the incident happened on the 1st. Okay. So what happened? Something weird. So I will tell you that the official ruling in 1959 was that the deaths were a result of a compelling natural 
force. And that's uh, it. That's very official. All right. <laughs> and we're going to break here. What's, what do you got, Hannah? You missed one of the weirdest things. What? The tongue. Oh, I didn't. But they were in a stream, and I, yeah. I'm of the belief that it was scavengers, animals, I and know. water erosion. Tell us what you're talking about. But it adds them. to this. I know. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> so the bodies in the stream, I can't remember if it was all of them or just three of them, showed uh, signs of decomposition and missing tissue on their faces. Like one was missing a tongue. Uh, one was missing its eyes and eyebrows were missing from one. Um, okay. But the fact that they were in a stream to me, mm-hmm. this is was just the logis- logical person in me that I was yeah. like, knowing what I know, I don't think that was some weird supernatural thing. No, I know. It's just when I... Like, I feel like when most people first have heard of this, they're like, someone had radiation and then someone was yes. missing a tongue for no reason. And also, it's like, it's inter- well, the w- I think scavengers wound- eat soft tissue before anything else and, and your tongue also, is included in that. If you're talking about decomposition, if someone bit their tongue and now you have an open wound, it will decompose more quickly yeah. than mm-hmm. intact skin. Or if they slam their face on a rock and they have a broken up eyebrow. So I think more compelling is the fractures without open wounds. Yeah. Right. That like yeah. because an open wound will decompose, and then like you, an open wound will also well, attract scavenging I mean, more quickly too. They're all in snow. Yeah. Too, but I think the so I think the decomposition was from what I read, the decomposition was greater on the faces of the ones that were in the ravine of the people that were in the ravine because they were even though they were under snow, there was still a small like running stream mm-hmm. that they were in under that, and so they weren't. They weren't stationary, unmoving, covered in snow, frozen, solidified. Yeah. They still had that bit there. Is from what like I maybe understood. Maybe little fishies coming up under the yeah. stream yeah. and eating their face. And I it's think cold, the, so they're probably hungry. There's not a lot of food. The mm. others, the others were um, not decomposed much either. They were more mummified because they were in the cold, windy, like frozen. But there was also sun, so they were in this weird, uh, cold, like sunny. Uh, windy environment and they freeze dried um, they yeah. kind, kind <laughs> yeah. of and because they were a very deep tan color and their hair uh was gray i read one in one place that's actually really interesting because sun can like bake and like make you decompose more quickly but that in that cold environment like how that would preserve and simultaneously like change at the same right. time because yeah. it's not because it has to do with the heat too and not just the sun mm-hmm. and but the light of the sun has its own decomposition right. yeah. effects. And yeah, yeah that's even without the heat. Anyway. All right. Well, let's take a break and then yep. come back. All right. All right. Good. All right. Break time. Hey, little Shemmies. Thanks for tuning in. While we were on our break, I just wanted to let you guys know how you can get a hold of us if you wanted to send us an email with your spooky stories. I'm still waiting for you to tell me those so I could tell them to you. Our email is ffsthepodcast at gmail.com. We'd also love to hear from you on the various social media sites. We're ffsthepodcast on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook. You can find us at E-F-F-E-D up story time. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in. We love you, Shammies. And uh, back to the show. Peach, a peach, a peach, peach. Maybe a peach hit is a fart. <laughs> <laughs> it's a queef. Oh, it's like a it could. Um, a peach hit a is peach. a queef. <laughs> no, but peaches are peaches butts. Peaches are butts. 
Are they? Yeah. It could be a wait. I hold on. It could be a peach pit hit. I've heard peaches. <laughs> the inside of the peach is the pit. Where so the like a turd? Is. <laughs> no, the peach pit, pit is hit the pit. is you shit on somebody. <laughs> like, peach pit hit shit. <laughs> like yeah, he's firing. He's firing little peach pit turds out little of his butt. Turds. I was just thinking that the pit is the center, so is the butthole, and out of the butthole comes little farts. That's I always thought peaches. Oh, man. you weren't Vagina. expecting the pit to come yeah, out. No, the peaches. pit stays in. No, because the top of a peach looks like a butt. Anyway, you were going to talk about this. can't even make Joplin's thing. Okay, this is really stupid. So I read this Yay. article. <laughs> so I always used to <clears throat> argue with Jerome that I am Janice Joplin reincarnated, right? <laughs> and um, he would argue with me, no, that's What's not the what case. What year did she die? She died in... I want to say like 73. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Could be. Could be. So, but anyway, so I read this article about Janis Joplin about how she went and joined a band. Like, I don't even know if she graduated high school or right after high school, but she was really young and it was the big. You don't know very much about your past life. Do you? Big brother. <laughs> do big you, brother Kelly? and the something or others. And it was a couple of weeks ago I read this article. And... Uh, <laughs> But anyway, she got involved in drugs so bad that they actually encouraged her to go home after a couple of years. So she went back home and she got clean. She went to college. She got engaged to be married, but then he called off the engagement. But she was like living her life. Her dream at that point was to be a secretary, get married and have a family. And then somebody called her from San Francisco and wanted her to come back and be in a band and at first she said no because she didn't think she'd be able to stay clean in that environment um but eventually she agreed and we all know what happened well i think that just solidifies the fact that i am janice joplin reincarnated because i live the life that she wished she would have lived instead of going to be in the band, see? And you so, probably wish you lived her life a little, right? A little, but I also I mean, not, appreciate yeah. Minus more. Minus the overdose yeah, part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I also appreciate more, like, I have a more fulfilling life, I yeah. think, you know. So anyway, it's really stupid, and that's why I didn't think it warranted think it's, its own little segment. So Sorry am, if we made it a big deal, but I think it's interesting. Uh, so I am Janice Joplin reincarnated. I believe you. I just chose a different path. Um, <laughs> my amazing therapist for her birthday, she was going to a, a person who's going to tell her about her most relevant past lives. I, I kind of don't know that I believe it, but I think it's exciting to think about, <laughs> you know, like, I think it's fun to like, you know, think of things like, you know, I really identify with this person. I think I'm I like that your therapist is doing that yeah. because therapists are usually very scientifically minded people. No, my therapist is so holistic. It's it goes too far sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Do we want to move on to the story? Get back into it? Yeah. yeah. All right. So tell, let's get back to the story. Let's talk All about this crazy right. stuff. What happened? So, as mentioned before, um, the official investigation in 1959 declared the incident a result of a compelling force of nature, in quotes. So those were the words they used. Compelling force, or compelling natural force, sorry. 
whatever that might be. Like, <laughs> what what does that even mean? Like, compelling natural force. Tornado? Yeah, I don't understand that at all. Is a giant grizzly bear compelling natural force? That um, maybe our... it just sat on oh. them and crushed them. <laughs> Bears of nature. Did you say bear? Is that what you said? Yeah. 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 Um, our uh, radio announcer for the Colorado Avalanche <laughs> likes to call, likes to like set up games by saying it is some, like he makes like a silly name for the, the opposing team and then he calls us a force of nature. So he'll, he'll say it's the force of nature against the, oh, I wish I could think of an example, like the little piddly things. So wasn't the one of them the piddlies. butt cracks or something? Maybe. I don't remember anything specific. But like, so like Kraken, he might have said something like, it's the force of nature against the sea things or I don't know, just something that like the minimizes the I mean, little fishies or something, you know, that butt minimizes. Cracks sounds like a good Kraken. Maybe burn. that was it. So he'll just minimize the other team and he'll call it avalanche a force of nature. Force All that to say, nature. maybe it was an avalanche. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So over the years, there have been a lot of different theories, some conspiracy theories that the government knew what happened and shut down investigations to hide what happened. There are multiple instances where investigators have reported they wanted to investigate further, but they were told by their superiors to shut it down, stuff like that. So, of course, that leads to conspiracy theories. We're talking 1959. In Russia. In Russia. <laughs> so and, how far are those conspiracies? And the official, the official report says that it was a compelling natural force. So conspiracy theories abounded, right? Obviously. Um, so especially when there were indications that government officials were shutting down investigations. So we're going to go through all the different theories that have been thrown around since 1959 up to as recently as 2021. Ooh. So I'm asking a question. Has, has there ever been, and if the answer is yes, you don't have to tell me what it is, but has there ever been anything that is somewhat conclusive or do the conspiracy theories continue? There have been sort of official investigations, but from what I could tell, nothing has changed the official report and the cause okay. of that that I, I saw. I okay. thought recently there was, um, it's kind of along the same lines, but it was a little bit more detailed of an official Maybe. Report. I didn't see that. I know there were two expeditions. One started in 2015 and then another yeah. went up in like 2020 or something. So there were results. They had very similar results. Yeah. Um, so one was report was le released in 2019 and one was 2021. But I didn't notice anything. Maybe I skimmed too much about them but updating the official more report. Recent, like official things in addition to the many, many mm -hmm. conspiracy yeah. theories. But those, That's all I was trying but to But those things, though, that theory is also still contested by a lot of people, though, because there are some discrepancies. Okay, so to this day, we don't know for sure. Kind of. I'm yeah. okay. still all right. a mystery. I'm just trying to frame what's going to come. <laughs> okay. okay, okay. You know, I'm sorry all if right. I jumped the gun there, but I want to frame the the stories and the conspiracy. So so we're gonna start with the ones that are are people tend to think are more conspiracy theories and lead our way to the more scientific official ones. Okay, good. That helps frame it too. Thanks. So the one of the theories 
was that the deaths were the result of a photo flash bomb. So a photo flash bomb is a bomb that is detonate or is dropped from a plane and detonated above ground, creating an extremely bright light. Um, it's used to it was used back then for nighttime aerial photography. So it would light up the landscape for, so they could take a picture. So the theory is that this was going on, that US, a U.S. spy plane was dropping photo flash bombs to do surveillance and take pictures, and it frightened the hikers when they saw the flash, so they ran. And they and the people who kind of believe this conspiracy believe that if the photo flash bomb was low enough, it could have caused the physical damage that was done to the bodies. Okay. But that's still so the so I, on each of these, I highlight the discrepancies that kind of may disprove that theory. The first one is if they were startled by a flash, you would anticipate them to be running away. But all indications of those footprints, the footprints were still clear. You could see them. There was no running. They were all at a gate that was consistent with walking at a normal pace. Mm. Weird. Okay. Because I imagined them running. That was what I had imagined. Either the whole running time. away from like the tent or running towards the tent, because you said many of them were in positions like they were trying to get back to the tent. Right. But so I'm talking about them leaving the tent specifically. Okay. Those, fo- yeah. They, but, they yeah, indicated okay. that they left the tent in kind of like an organized, calm, chill way. Normal manner. Not huh. fully dressed, but not, <laughs> not, weird. not but chill. But they weren't running. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And, uh, you know, and they did a lot of studies. There's all sorts of studies about what gait is at different paces in different environments and landscapes and all that. And so that was what the, even in 1959, that's kind of what the investigation said was that they appeared to be walking at a normal pace. Hmm. So another one that's kind of silly, but I wanted to include it, is a theory that high winds blew one hiker away and the others ran to save them. This is very unlikely. One, (laughs) if there was a wind strong enough to blow a person away, there are winds that are strong enough. But if there was a wind strong enough, the tent would have blown away too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And also in a situation like that, the other hikers wouldn't have left in that manner. They were all experienced hikers. They were all what's called grade two certified. And this hike was going to certify them to grade three. And so they would have much more calmly, you know, probably put clothes on and then gone and search, you know, and gone in the direction that this person got blown away. Because if there's a wind strong enough to blow away a person, you're not going to catch them by running. (laughs) I have. That's hilarious. (laughs) I have a really fun image of <laughs> me too. this person blowing away and then that fucking Josh Groban song, you raise me up. <laughs> that's, that's funny because we pretty Be- sure that didn't happen to someone. <laughs> I do have a friend, though, who uh, used to live in Kremlin oh. and they were very small. 
and like very short, very skinny and petite. And they like, said that once oh. they did get lifted off the ground by a wind. <laughs> I mean, they were also I've, a child. So I was gonna say, but like by small, do you mean in age or in stature? <laughs> Both. They were small for their age and also young. <laughs> but I've felt winds that have I've felt it like pushing me, not enough to take me off the ground, but yeah, strong enough to like. Would, like if it takes you off the ground, it's going to be like a whoof, like yeah. you're going to come right back down. Because yeah. gravity or, still exists. Or you're going to lose your balance <laughs> yeah, and yeah, take a couple stumbling. Stumble you down. Yeah, that'd have to be a pretty crazy win to Josh Groban, an adult man. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're calling okay, it. So that one did not happen. Josh Groban wasn't even born yet. <laughs> <laughs> so you couldn't have Josh Groban a man. <laughs> Others speculated that they were attacked by wildlife. But the problem with this is that there were no other prints around the tent except for of the nine hikers on the expedition. So if they were attacked by wildlife, they were first somehow, for some reason, they <laughs> right. got out of the tent without clothes on and then the wildlife got them. So and no. then somehow wildlife crushed two people's chests, essentially. This is all bullshit. These are and shit theories. Ignored, <laughs> and ignored six of the people and they just died of hypothermia yeah, and no. didn't appear to eat any of no. the people. Next. <laughs> and it also doesn't explain necessarily them cutting their way out of the tent. Unless the yeah. animal or whatever was at the f- entrance, but or got into the tent. The animal was in <gasps> the I tent. I do wonder with depending them. on how large the animal was though, cuz it was a decent amount of time since they had left their prints and like depending on the weight of the animal, it could have left smaller prints that they were then covered up by like blowing wind or blowing snow possible that's a big stretch but would would an animal that was small enough to barely leave any prints be able to kill nine people scare nine people yeah (laughs) the bare feet footprints do they match the feet of some of the victims, do they know? How big were oh, they? Oh, bear. Oh, B-A-R-E. The, the, the no shoes. Like, the no shoes. Yeah, I did the same thing. I'm like, there weren't any barefoot The prints. no shoes, no socks prints. Yes, the no shoes, no socks prints. You better not talk about size or we're going to be like, what Bigfoot? Big <laughs> That's what I'm asking, though. What did they match? Like, the size of any of the victims or were so, they uh, abnormally large? No, did they? no, no, no. So they, I don't yeah, know dude. if they went and matched them to each of the victims, but there were nine sets of distinct prints that were human. That didn't have shoes or socks on. Well, some had some a shoe, That's some true. had both socks, like various stages. Was but there one There were really one First of all, there were only nine sets of prints and nine hikers. So if it, there was somebody else there or something else there, well, then... Well, the one hiker got blown away, so... <laughs> they didn't dude, dude, one got Josh Groban. <laughs> Bigfoot came. <laughs> okay, all right. These are all bullshit theories. Let's go on. I, I did read, though, that there was, like, a conspiracy theory that it was a Yeti. Yeah, Which, yeah. like... But there what was evidence, no, though? there was no like, evidence. I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, there was no evidence of any outside force, period. Like outside creature. Creature or person. person. Yeah, being. Just the nine hikers. That's all they mm-hmm. can account yeah. for. Okay. okay. 
And that also leads to another theory. So there are a, there's a group of local tribesmen called the Mansi who live in that area. And there was speculation that the nine hikers were attacked by them. But they are known to be a peaceful people. And then again, racism. Well, yep. 1959. Yeah. <laughs> and also, again, no prints. I mean, they're humans. They can't hover yeah, above let's, snow. Let's <laughs> not blame it all on the minority. Yeah. <laughs> right. And then in addition, the autopsy indicated the damage was so great to the three that had that damage. It couldn't have been inflicted by a human. Yeti. Okay. <laughs> a flying yeti <laughs> a very ominous you lift me up <laughs> it was josh groban in a past life <laughs> as a yeti okay i want a real theory let's keep going keep going okay so then another theory was paradoxical undressing and that's what hannah mentioned earlier so oh okay yeah. paradoxical undressing so People who get hypothermia often will actually feel like a very warm burning sensation rather than feeling cold. And they will and that will cause them kind of in a delirious state to remove articles of clothing. So that's one theory as to why they might have removed the clothing. But the thing that contradicts that the most is that the three that were found two months later down in the ravine had added clothing that belonged to them. So they were in a state of mind where they new to keep adding layers so it seems kind of odd yeah that okay. some would have that and the others wouldn't maybe try Is to help a, them like oh yeah yeah wouldn't try and help them. like keep your that. clothes like, hey, on you keep your clothes not on. everyone was in that state so therefore yeah. someone would be like hey we all need to right if they were yeah, in I a state where they could take their clothes after they were dead they why wouldn't they have helped them before they died I, try to keep their clothes on? Okay. The theory that I have always kind of adhered to is kind of similar to that, I think, in that I think potentially someone had late-stage hypothermia, someone or a group of people, yep. and so they cut themselves out of the tent because they were burning up, or so they saw thought, go out into the wilderness, someone tries to go and get them, a storm comes on, and it's like wide-out conditions, mm -hmm. they can't find their way back well, to the tent, and then four people fall into a ravine. <laughs> well, and it was already storm, and it was already storming, <laughs> that's why yeah. they made camp there, too. Yeah. So, that could have been a scenario. But so it could have been, because not every single person is going to respond to hypothermia in the same way or at the same time, so it could have been that someone did have, what did mm -hmm. you call it, paradoxical undressing, undressing right. and then in the response, it wasn't handled right and maybe they also the were other, like what the f are you doing dude yeah. and like well, in that response other things happen that contributed the 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 thing that bothers me about that is the state of their shoes like nobody stole anybody's shoes so they went out of the tent in that weird because the the mixed shoe prints were right by the tent and to me like i could see one maybe two people going without being fully dressed to try to get this guy before he gets too hard Far or girl, because there were two uh, women on the trip. Mm -hmm. But I don't see all nine of them rushing out there without their shoes on, without their warm clothes. I yeah, something see. had to happen that made all of them want to leave the tent quickly. Right. And the only way that that could be like one person in late stage hypothermia is if one person or a few or whatever is if one person's in late stage hypothermia and has the paradoxical undressing and behaves in a way that scares the other people. Right. That then that causes them all to be like, what? Something's happening. What? We got to go. But then they walk away from the tent. And not run. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So much. I am. You said that they did tests to, like, determine the gait, and it was, like, dependent on, like, the I mean, conditions I think- you're in, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I do wonder, because if you're in, like, very thick heavy snow that's like pretty tall and it's snowing heavily then you can't like you're running is more of a walking gate i feel like yeah, because you, you might can't. post hole or whatever right. yeah. like you drop right down in the snow um some of, but there are signs so i i don't know all of it and i don't know how accurate there was this is just what they said they determined yeah. that they were walking from what I know about kind of the science with that too, though, there should have been indications. Like if they were sinking into snow, there'd be different indications as they lifted their foot up um, to show that they were sinking. Now, if by some off chance it had melted down, then you might not notice that. But I think there are there are indications to show if you were trudging through deep snow or if you were on the surface or, um, that kind of stuff. So it, they could be wrong too, but uh, nothing I found contradicted the theory that they were walking away okay. from the tent. I didn't find a single thing that suggested otherwise. I still think if you have a bad enough storm and the wind's blowing and you have snow that you may not, even if you feel like you need to hurry for whatever reason, you may not, you may not. run. You yeah. may not. The you other know. thing that, that, I read that I thought was interesting was that the way the footprints were outside and around the tent were not chaotic. Like you will, when people are in chaos or, or potentially panicking or hurried, you'll often see a lot of overlapping and different and, you know, and like scuffs and things like that. But from what I read, even around the tent, there did not appear to be any sort of distress in the footprints now again like you said we don't know what visibility could have been horrible and they could have been in distress but just moving super slow or you know i don't know i mean the whole thing i wonder if some of them maybe not just one person but but more than one were suffering from the hypothermia and that might account for why some were barefoot or partially barefoot and they wanted to leave the tent and the ones that maybe weren't quite suffering from hypothermia yet we're trying to corral them or f- get them to go back or i don't stop know them. Yeah. so yeah. in that moment it might not be a panic it might be like jesus christ come, on, come, come on. on and maybe i only found one of my shoes and the person's getting further away and you're just trying to get them real fast but, and yeah so here's here's a question i have about that though that is a little bit of doubt for me about having hypothermia before they left the tent because they're all experienced mountain skiers and hikers they had already camped several nights like i it seems highly unlikely that in the tent and they're sleeping close or whatever they're doing that they that somebody would get hypotherm or that multiple people that's actually legit because it's one tent for nine people and it's warm a lot of body heat it was it was a nine person tent i read that online so it wasn't multiple tents it was a nine person i'm sure they all have their sleeping bags and like why would you as an experienced i'm sorry i fully just like talked over you i'm so sorry (laughs) (laughs) say it again mom I was just saying, and I'm sure they also had like sleeping bags and gear to keep mm-hmm. them warm it, because they're not our prepared. fancy 2023 <laughs> gear, but still, but they're, they're going to have lots of layers. Yeah, and they're prepared w- for yeah. that. Why Which, would you, as an experienced hiker, not sleep with socks on? 
Why would you right? sleep that, barefoot? That's so actually I I have some, so I don't it's with modern technology as a as a backpacker <laughs> I just call myself a backpacker that's hilarious <laughs> as a person who has backpacked a handful of times in their life <laughs> who goes and has camping friends who are backpackers um gear today is actually designed like sleeping bags that are rated for different temperatures are actually designed to be used without clothing or with yeah. base layers only because mm-hmm. of the way that your body heat produces your body produces heat and then the way that it traps it but also is breathable and the wicking and all of that like well, you need to wick your sweat so i don't know how all of it works but i actually don't off if i'm trying well, to stay really warm you may not sleep with socks on if you have a good backpack or i mean a good sleeping bag but in 1959 they probably would have just put on a bunch of layers on their feet so well, yeah i don't know i they show in the movies all the time when like people are about to have hypothermia they're like hurry up take your clothes off and get under here with me that and if your clothes <laughs> is in any the, the problem is if your clothes are in any way wet including oh, yeah. wet from sweat especially if you're using older like cotton clothes and like cotton long johns and stuff before we had all of the advancement of the um unnatural what do you call them unnatural fibers the synthetic synthetic synthetic. thank you (laughs) before we had all this synthetic stuff you if you have even the slight bit of wetness you can get you can have hypothermia hit way faster that's part of why you take off all your layers before you and if your layers aren't working that's yeah you take them off and that's and also when you huddle with someone and you're both undressed like your body heat gets to each other it's direct body heat to body heat it's, it's not the wicking same I- away or anything it's the like same idea as like kind of you know the way you put a baby on your chest mm. you know gets that warmth and that closeness that you don't get through clothing and i would think that these experienced hikers would know all of this and would have combated any, you know, potential hypothermia by using these tricks, not by taking their clothes off and or their one shoe off and ripping a hole in the tent and wandering out into the wilderness. If you know, like, oh, I should take my cotton socks off because they might have a little sweat and it'll just make my feet colder. Like if you're that level of smart, you also know let's not go outside and put my foot in the cold without my shoes on. Like, yeah, those two That's things kind thing. of seem, they're all experienced. Like they call them like skiers, but then hikers. So like, I think they're like backcountry skiers. I couldn't really kind of figure that out, but part of this was, was like sponsored by a sports club too. So I think they're like backcountry skiers, but they have to do this hike to get their grade three so they can go be certified and do other ski things. Mm. They all had their the... skis with them, but nothing ever said that they were actually skiing. They were hiking yeah. through the mountains, but you can see in pictures that they're sitting there with their skis in the snow. A lot of alpinists will use different equipment in different circumstances. And in storms, that may not be the best time to be using your cross country skis, or they might've been trying to get to a point where they're going to do some ski like activity. So I'm actually not surprised at all i would think at that they wouldn't go into the wilderness without having some sort of like ski or like it just seems yeah. like that makes sense or big ass snowshoes or like sleds or just something because alpinists would use 
Yeah, different equipment. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they may not even have been called alpinists. Uh, do you like how I speak about something with confidence? <laughs> I do. And authority. Well, I don't, and someone out there is going to be like, she knows nothing about it. She's I don't, been hiking one time in her life. I don't know much about 1959 Russia, so I'm not sure what they Touché. were called. <laughs> so, Touché. 1959 Russia takes all my But that's what I want to come back to because you also have to think when we're talking about whether or not they layered up or stripped down. They were basically, you know, those tents you see, like if you look at pictures online, you can see it. But you know, those tents that are like cartoonish tents that have like a pole at the top. Yes. Like Hannah Drew, <laughs> like a pole at the top with a draped cloth over it yeah. and staked into the ground. That was their nine person tent. And Crazy. it was probably made of like a really heavy canvas or like yeah. this is pre polyester. Right. Pre spandex so or whatever. So you know? in, and who know And there's. They're, they probably didn't have sleeping bags, more like bedrolls yeah. or things like that. So You're totally right. So they might have actually layered up to go to sleep because they needed that. But yeah. I, but I'm sure they knew, though, about the dry clothing. I would imagine if they had socks on, they would have been fresh socks, not the socks they hiked in all day. That kind of stuff. Yeah, so even though we know nothing about what it, like, and I, I'll be specific, I know nothing, <laughs> despite my my confidence, know nothing about the circumstances. The moral of the story is, they should have known. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I can speculate, but they should have known enough to not put your foot in the snow without a shoe on. They yeah. were, I mean, and it seems young these days, but it was 1959, so the leader was 23, Igor uh, Dyatlov. But he was already grade two. He was experienced enough that they made him leaner. But then there was also an older jet gentleman, Zatalyov, I think it was, who had years of experience hiking in the mountains and skiing and doing all this. So they, between the two of them, most of the experts say they would have known not to do this. Yeah, <laughs> that's. That's helpful. I feel like I got a little rambly in, no. in there, but I think it's helpful to establish that. Right. They yeah. should yeah. know. They should know. Like, and the tent looks so small. I saw the picture of it that had the snow on top of it, and it was like collapsed. I thought it was one of multiple tents because in the picture with the guy by it, like at, for scale, you know, it looks like a one person tent. Well, again, I'm going to say things about modern stuff that could be totally inapplicable. <laughs> but if you've ever been in a modern tent, they will rate it for the literal size of two average people to lay exactly yeah. next to each other on the ground, period. So like a two-person tent, you better know that second person really well They're, because yeah. it's right. very tight. Right. A four-person tent is like Matt and right. I comfortably. <laughs> I think right. our tent that we use when we're just car camping is like a five-person tent. Well, and that's what I'm saying. Like, this looked at most a two-person tent versus a nine-person tent. Even so. with that in mind, like, so how and could it yeah. even sit nine people on the Right, ground? like, and it could be perspective. Photographing yeah. back then was not great. Hannah just showed Kelly and Salem the tent. Like, it looks tiny. Yeah. They would be Maybe laying a four-person to tent. <laughs> you lay right next to each other, head to toe. You, or, you yeah. don't roll over in the you night at all. Over. Everybody sleeps on their side because you get more keeps room. And that you warmer, frankly. True. Yeah. Like yeah. that is part of the tech, I think. Tech of 1959. <laughs> yeah. But like the, <laughs> you know, you fit them in there real tight. Do you have any other theories? Yes. So that's what I was going <laughs> to get to next. So the next theory I want to talk about are military tests. So there are records that during that time period, Soviet military were 
doing parachute mine testing during this time frame of when they would have been up in the mountains. So parachute mines are just little mines that are dropped down from the uh, from a plane. There we go. From the sky. And <laughs> and they're detonated like just above ground. And so they were testing this. They weren't actually trying, you know, they weren't fighting anybody. They were testing these mines. That's one theory. And that this could have woken the hikers. The, these explosions could have. And they ran from the tent in a panic. They then died from hypothermia or injuries from one of the parachute mines getting too close to the ground or something like that. Oh, so that would be like a force that mm-hmm. may not pierce the skin. It would be a pressure hit. <gasps> oh. This is my favorite so far. I mean, that's similar the- to the photo bombs that they were talking about, though, too. Yeah, but these are actually these like are actual bombs. bombs. They yeah. aren't. They, they aren't, have a force that comes. They aren't off of designed the to just do a flash. They're designed to like explode. Yeah. So one thing that might support that are the sightings of the orange orbs that were reported around that time. That could mm. be the the actual bombs dropping and exploding. But then again, we have the footprints that didn't seem that they were in a panic. So they had an explosion and partially dressed, calmly walked out of their tent. I I think I'm going to come back to just feeling like for for whatever reason, they may not have been running, but they had to have been in some level of hurry. I just cannot understand why they wouldn't have put their shoes on right. if they weren't in some level it's of hurry. Crazy, now, maybe they were like, right? let's be calm. Let's not be rash. So let's not stumble our way out. And the cutting yourself out of, of the, the yeah. They had to have been in a hurry to get out. What, and that, that's what's so weird about I the contradictions on this no running thing. <laughs> you can call shenanigans on whatever you want because I, I mean I couldn't find an official report with numbers yeah, and charts yeah. that showed how they did it it's just what I would like to measure there's also, the weight of each footprint. right <laughs> well there's also not a lot open to the public either after, yeah. in 1959 after they declared it uh, what was it like a collapse Condi- cr- something natural forces <laughs> catastrophic natural force or whatever the hell it was they files were all sent to a secret location yeah because it's russia because it's soviet russia yeah. so <laughs> not just russia <laughs> soviet, soviet russia. russia um yeah exactly and so we probably will never know what methods they used how they determined yeah, these things for sure. so then i call shenanigans exactly <laughs> moving on next theory or next thing all right next theory is infrasound mm, okay frick so infrasound is when sound drops below it was like 20 megahertz i want to say but drops low enough that the human ear can't hear it like how elephants oh, speak yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so it, and it can cause changes in the air pressure as well as vibrations that you may not <sighs> visibly feel, but are still going through your body mm-hmm. and all that. And so this theory suggests that the winds on the mountains uh, created an infrared situation or infrasound. <laughs> infrared. <laughs> it's just like habit to say infrared, for, but an infrasound situation that caused panic in the group and caused them to leave the tent to flee. And by the time they got down slope, the effects would have been gone because they weren't in that area anymore. But it was dark 
and they were lost. That's the one! We found it! (laughs) I believe it! (laughs) So... Even if they were in a panic, a lot of times these kind of sound-inducing things or even like when I did the the Helen Well thing, the kids who fainted on the marching band field, those kind of impacts can cause kind of like a mass hysteria or panic, but not necessarily a running panic, more of just like a... I ha- you know, I don't know where I'm going. I'm just stumbling Cause away. Because there's the confusion, right? So yeah. you might step outside and not run because you don't know where to go. So and then you, you step might, outside. And, and then you might see someone who went that way and follow them. Or... And then see someone going the other way. Well, because so sound be specifically can mess with your equilibrium, yep. like the f- actual fluid in your ear and can like yep. f- give you vertigo, we fuck found you up it, that y'all. way. Yep. We found the yeah. And the this is my favorite one, I think, but I don't know if it's the right one. I mean, there's documented evidence that like the united states government has tested out machines oh that do this and sonic like has similar effects sonic so it makes sense warfare. that if something like that happened yeah. naturally that it would have that kind yeah. of effect Done. on a person so that so that's one of the theories right the like, theory. and then and then they couldn't find their way back and the guy and one or more of them were climbing that tree to try to see where the tent was. Then people started trying to walk in that direction. Someone made a fire because they were trying to And then others stole clothes as people died. Yeah. And tried to find a better shelter down in the ravine. The one that doesn't make sense for me still is the people who had the crushing injuries. Exactly. Where there is no uh, outward injury. Damn it, Hannah. I was ready to say check. Sorry. But (laughs) so one of the theories that goes with that is that at they couldn't find their way back to camp and as people started to die and those four made their way farther into the woods to find a more suitable place for shelter that they fell into a snow hole which happens a lot and that mm. and that's why they were they went in so the the snow was covering the ravine they fell into a snow hole which went down to the ravine first trauma and they got all thing. that damage the problem i have with that is now the only thing I could find said they had no external damage. To me, that means no bruising, no cuts, yeah. but I don't know for sure. But to me, if it was blunt force trauma, then they should have had bruising. It could have been, though, if they did fall into a snow hole and more f- snow fell on them that was heavy and wet, it could have crushed them. Yep. We did it. Yeah. <laughs> We saw Take that this. Russian government. No, yeah. I think that makes perfect sense <laughs> because I think that, and then especially when you have like large, like over your entire body, that sort of force over the mm-hmm. entire body, there's not like one pressure point that's going to like more likely break the skin or whatever. And you're in clothes and layers. And so, yeah, just a giant force it's, across your yep. entire body. And it's definitely a different fracture pattern. Um, and they know this partially from studying the witches who were documented as being pressed. There were only like two that were documented and verified as being pressed to death under stone. So so you can see the so there are differences between kind of like crushing fractures and blunt force fractures. Sorry. Yeah. So then we have something called catabat catab do it with the great start. <laughs> so much too. Katakata baga. Katakata baga. Catabatic wins. Catabat. I got it. Catabatic wins. So they are. What does that mean? They are winds that are that carry um, higher density air and are pushed down through gravity down slope 
of like a hill or a mountainous area. Now, most of the time, these catabatic catabatic winds um, are normal speeds, like 10 knots. If you guys want to look up what that means, I didn't. 10 knots or less. (laughs) It's a wind measurement for those of you who don't know. I think it used to be with knots on the string and it blew in the wind and that's how they knew. But anyway, weird random facts just knows. And so Half of. <laughs> I was just right? kidding. <laughs> you are you are saying all the things in my head that I'm refraining. Okay, okay. You guys, they complain all the time about how mean I was, but this yeah, is seriously this, this was my life with my younger and older sister. Oh, I did nothing as a child. I did exactly what I'm doing tonight, which is laugh when Salem did things <laughs> you. And it's always doing, doing something. It's always just me. I just cried all the time. I couldn't pay any attention to what was happening to you. I was too busy crying. Uh, <laughs> Kelly's whole see life. see through your blurred tears. Her whole tears. life with her big giant eyes yeah. and just full of tears all the time. <laughs> all the time. Um, okay, so they're usually not very intense winds, but on occasion they can actually reach hurricane speeds if the conditions are right. If they were experiencing this high-speed catabatic wind, then it would have been impossible to stay in the tent. The tent would have just been whipping around like crazy. Um, And so the theory is that they purposely covered it with snow, and maybe the reason they cut their way out is because the entrance had been blocked by snow already or something Uh. like that. They purposely covered it with snow so it wouldn't blow blow away, away. and then they moved to... Then they sought shelter in the tree line um there was there was evidence that they had built at least one snow shelter so then this theory continues to say they built two different shelters um and one of those shelters was with the four by the ravine and it collapsed on them causing the injuries so if they were these winds, it could explain why they were moving at a normal slow pace because they weren't really running from anything. They, they were just run moving in the wind. to yeah, they were just moving to shelter in the tree line. But why didn't okay, they this put is their the one. shoes this on? Is the, the real <laughs> well, but one. that's the thing. Why didn't they have shoes on when they left the tent? Yeah. Maybe and I never Especially found if they took the time to cover the tent in snow and they right like you're covering your shoes in snow at that point. Could then. the tent have collapsed while they were in it, causing them to have to try to search for their potentially shoes and then have to cut their way out as like the snow's piling on potentially. Top of it? Yeah. And part of some of these theories about them calmly leaving and planning to come back to. So like this theory in particular is that when the investigators arrived at the camp. There was a lantern on the tent that was left in the on position. So almost like they were leaving a beacon for yeah. the to get back to. Ah, that makes sense. Okay. I like that one. The most accepted and the theory that came out of the two most recent uh, expeditions up there to investigate is avalanche. Now this is <gasps> force of nature. <laughs> now this is I said that like 20 I minutes ago. It and was the I, whole Colorado avalanche and I igno- came and, and I ignored you on purpose because I knew you were going to get excited when I got to it. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so there are lots of things that, that kind of fl- are contradictory to this being the actual theory but this is the most widely accepted specifically a slab avalanche so 
where they were on the slope, what the uh, hikers did when they made camp is they actually dug into the side of the slope to kind of make a level place to put their tent. So they're butted up against basically the edge of these this snow that is being pulled by gravity down the mountain slope, right? Now, this snow would have had a thicker, heavier, more stable top layer of snow, and it would have had the ground, and in between it would have been a weak layer of snow. So when they cut into the side of the mountain, they think that they really destabilized that weak layer of snow, so it started to shift because it didn't have the same bracing it had before they cut into the mountain, and the top slab slid down over the tent. This is the one. This okay. is the one. <laughs> Oh, can't say that it? for all of them, Kelly. This is the last one, and I believe it, though, because I'm sure Jess will talk about it, but, like, cutting out of the tent, if you have an avalanche come on you, not wearing your shoes, I don't know. I Go on. So here are the things that the... What's the word for people who disagree? The, the naysayers? Maybe. Dissenters? Just the people who don't believe this theory. Okay. Non-believers. <laughs> no. There's a word I'm thinking of. You guys tried. It wasn't any of those. Um, we can't help you then. I know, right? On my own. So the first thing, so remember, there's about almost a month in between when this happened and the investigators finding the site. But even, so people say that even at that length of time, there should have been visible signs of an avalanche that are typically seen after an avalanche occurs, and there weren't signs of that, such as there was no damage to the tree line. So this avalanche came down and didn't hit the trees that were 1.5 kilometers away, so not quite a mile away. Can I say something about the tree line one, yeah. though? Is that the the way that the, like, sometimes you have slide areas that are They've already like knocked down the trees in that path. And then because there aren't trees in that path, more slides can happen in that path and they'll follow the same path repeatedly. Like if there are standing and strong and older trees, like typically that's not in the path where like avalanches will be. And if they come in that area, like the trees slow down the snow. Well, one of the things I read too, to kind of go with that, was around the actual number of avalanches that occur in that area, and they are very, very few. Okay. So it's not prime for avalanche conditions, but because of the snowstorm and the weakening of the middle layer that, that they think happened, and then all that snow piling on top of the top layer. So I don't know if that would have hit the tree line too or not, but that's what one of the people okay. say about okay. it. Um, but there's also all sorts of disputes about whether avalanches even happen in there. But there's very few avalanches that have occurred in that area. And one thing other that was also cited was there have been more than 100 expeditions since that time. And none of those expeditions in that area have reported avalanche conditions being present. Okay. So I don't know. It could still be an avalanche. Just because it doesn't happen often doesn't mean it never happens, right? Yeah. So it could still be that. There was only a shallow layer of snow on the first five bodies that were found. So they weren't buried under an avalanche. And also, whether in February, I'm inclined to believe snow didn't melt too much. 
it kind of packed itself, right? So, so that's interesting, right? Did they dig their way out of the snow? They didn't see any signs of that. The tent wasn't completely buried under snow. So that's kind of weird to me, right? Some say that the four found in the ravine were there because they were swept away by the avalanche. But then that begs the question of why weren't the other five swept away then? Experts say that the injuries of the three that suffered uh, the severe uh, damage to their chests or skull were not consistent with injuries typically seen in an avalanche because there was no bruising. Well, there was no bruising. There was no impact indication, just the fractured bones. The crushing, not the bruising. So it's more... But I would imagine that an avalanche crushes you, right? It does, but you are <laughs> taken with the snow, You're so tumbled. you tumble first usually. You're, but it depends over how long it really, of a slide Yeah, area. exactly. Yeah. So it could be, but <clears throat> I think what I read was that they didn't typically see the injuries they saw in avalanche okay. victims. But there's also the thought that the experienced leaders that they had wouldn't have camped in that area if it was unstable, and they would have been well aware of avalanche signs. All right, this isn't the one, everyone. Let's go back to the last one. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's the winds. Also, with the way the footprints were, because we could see, they could see clearly nine sets of footprints. They weren't covered by an avalanche, so they had to have happened after the avalanche, which would mean that, like, if their tent only had the amount of snow on it that the investigators found when they got there, the hikers could have just cleaned their tent off, re-erected it. Like that's not an avalanche. That's like a little snow tumble. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. like that. There, there. To me, this is just to me and to some others. There wasn't enough snow on the tent at that site to make it seem like they were running from an avalanche or even digging out of an avalanche and the the footprint still being there is the main thing because if they had been covered by an avalanche it could have possibly melted to expose the tent expose the bodies enough that they were seen but the footprints would not have been there the sheer power of the snow rushing down the mountainside would have erased or at least marred scuffed you know, scraped them so they wouldn't have been so clear as the way I saw it described um, that they found them. So that's weird to me. So who knows? So that's my last theory. Yeah, I don't think it's an avalanche. I think it's either the the infrasound or the... Your mom's an official one. I don't care about official. Or the catalytic winds. Yeah, me too. That's what I think. Yeah. So still nature, because the, different. the other thing with the infrasound, like some say that like in the panic, they fell into a snow hole and that's how they got the injuries, those three that had injuries. But if it created an air pressure, extremely, extremely powerful, it could have done that to them on the inside. Mm-hmm. But that's very unlikely, even with the infrasound. More likely there would have been damage to eardrums or things like that. Oh, that's true. Yeah, so it's more likely the winds. It's the Calabasitas winds. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Casa Bonita winds. <laughs> it. Done. It's those. It's those. I'm going to go on Wikipedia now and change it to Casa Bonita winds. The source is our podcast. <laughs> and, then, and then see how long it takes Wikipedia to find to, out. To and be like, it. Um, no. But in the meantime, people will come and listen to our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right. Well, that was a good story, Jess. Thanks. It's a fucked up little story. It's just weird. I think the big thing that sticks out to me are the injuries. I think the hard part is I wish somebody would reexamine the skeletons in the modern age. Because you got to think 1959, mummified, essentially, Mm -hmm. as they were, technology the way it was, they might be able to figure out more about how those fractures were caused yeah in, they might with today's technology yeah. they need to take them to bones because she'd be able to figure <laughs> oh, it <sure>. out <laughs> they yeah. did at one point um exhume the skeleton of the oldest guy zolotaryov because there was in the report he was found with the other bodies but he's not listed as being buried with all the other bodies at the memorial that they have created for them so at one point they exhumed a skull that was attributed to be him from that memorial which i thought was weird and did a facial reconstruction and did dna analysis and none of the dna analysis from it matches any of zolotaryov's family so it's almost like so they believe Whose that head is that right they believe it was somebody using his name and assuming his oh, identity weird. and so it's not really him Ooh. Ooh, that adds some more mystery well it's weird why would he not be listed on the memorial if especially if he's buried there yeah that's weird weird right mm. anyway that's yeah. all i got who head are that <laughs> who head are that <laughs> All right, well, that was a fucked up story. Now it's time for something not fucked up. Woo! Yay! One thing doesn't suck. One thing doesn't suck. I'm going to do everything (laughs) I can to make that note awful every time I sing it. I'm sad. I missed so much. I had no idea this is how we did it now. (laughs) A thing now. What's going on? Bell, I'm only like 40% into it. Bell, but Bell is, I'll, I'll go with Bell it. Bell is the most into it. Bell's the most Bell's into the it. Most. And we just, really didn't want PP Corner. Yeah. So we got Bell Why? to come off yeah. PP Corner and oh. we all uh, compromised. You know, if that. I was here and Bell and I were united in PP Corner still. But you do you want to hear my you? thing that doesn't suck? Or I not? do. I do want to hear right. your thing that doesn't Here's suck. Here's my positive plug or happy thing. Does it even or, make sense? Anyway. anyway. So my. Mine is a happy day in history. So today, four years ago, today, Denver decriminalized the possession of psilocybin mushrooms. So while they're still not completely legal, it's much easier for therapists licensed to use mushrooms to acquire them and treat their patients. Oh, that's a good thing. Yeah, that thing doesn't suck. And then another one I want to plug is I really liked the movie Champions with Woody Harrelson in it. It was so good. They, I just, I have yet to see a movie where they have had so many characters with intellectual disabilities just having their personalities and just like being them. And it was so great. I they loved used, it. They um, used Special Olympics athletes. For Did they? It. So, and they're all you know self advocates and yeah. and actors with intellectual I, disabilities. I just, so they're just you know real people. Just being and it was themselves. so good. Yeah. So nice. good. And I love that Woody Harrelson was in it because throughout his career, he's played a lot of skeevy characters and can kind of seem a little brash and like uncouth. And I love when I see him in things that remind me of when he was in Cheers, like the nice, you know, mm-hmm. bartender. I can't even remember his name. The Woody. characters. Woody. 
His what? name was Woody. <laughs> you couldn't remember his name. His name was Maybe his name. that's why I thought I couldn't remember because I was like, no, that's the actor's no, name. No, it wasn't Woody, was it? <laughs> I think it was. I All right. Know. But anyway, so that's two things that don't suck. I know, but you better I- re-sing your jingle. <laughs> two things that don't suck. Two things that don't suck. Yeah. Um, so I just had to share it because I loved it. And I love remembering fresh-faced, nice, gomery Woody Harrelson and Cheers, you know? Yeah, it was. It was Woody. His name was Woodrow Huckleberry Tiberius Boyd. Oh, my <laughs> that's, God, right. that's right. <laughs> um, but anyway. I had to make sure I wasn't just totally fucking off the mark and like, wait a minute, his real name's Woody. <laughs> I can't remember what Woody Harrelson's name was. Well, I probably <laughs> talked myself out of thinking it was Woody because I'm like, no, that's the actor's name. His but character wasn't it. Woody. Yeah, that's funny. So anyway. Well, that that's nice. Cute. Nice way to end our sad story on people who died by mysterious circumstances (laughs) on the side of a cold cold mountain although i guess that defeats the purpose of having a thing that doesn't suck at the end to remind us don't forget about all that shitty stuff we talked about first (laughs) don't go thinking the world's a good place to live guys (laughs) no those are nice stories go watch champions hannah's out of here look at it's on it's on peacock guys I'm going to watch it since you recommended it. And now I'm even more encouraged. I'm encouraged to pee.